Welcome to another episode of Seed Pod, the podcast that tells the story of Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows through the eyes of its citizens. My name is Christian Cowley. Joining me today are my co-host Jack Emberley and our guest Jeff Clayton with part five of the Hundred Year War on Alouette Salmon. You might just recognize Jack and Jeff from the first four parts, which detail the earlier tale of how our community rallied around its river. The Alouette Watershed is part of the unceded and traditional territories of the Catesy First Nation and the Kwantlen First Nation. As we approach the first national day set aside to honour the truth and reconciliation process with our First Peoples, it is pertinent to note that this watershed is an important piece of the reconciliation puzzle. Now let's pick up the story where we left off in Part 4. Jack, in the first four parts of this history, we've seen how its community members and not the government agencies charged with protecting watersheds that are raising issues about the condition of the Alouette River and the impact on salmon. They go so far as to create an advocacy group with the assertive name ARMS to take up the battle against the colossus we call BC Hydro. That's right, Christian. We've called this part of our story Taking Off the Gloves because in it we will trace how Jeff Clayton and the community had to resort to strong arm tactics to get the agencies to even begin to address their responsibility. So how does this part of the story begin? It begins with the community members, Jeff at the forefront, seeking some leverage to get the problems with the Alouette River addressed. Here is me asking Jeff about the role of a lawyer. So um, after you decided to take on the portfolio for arms for the river, for arms, and you knew that you'd have to have some sort of legal argument to support your group. You got that. What was the uh, what, what plan uh, did uh, McDade, lawyer McDade, have to you to get BC Hydro to release more water down the river? Well, what I did was, um, you know, I just um, checked through the various sources that were out there that may help. There was West Coast Environmental Law and the um, Sierra Legal Defense, uh, which has now become Echo Justice. But, um, you know, I phoned them up and uh, they said, well, you know, come on down and meet with us and and, and tell us your story. Um, And I did. And then they said, well, you know, we we have a barrister um, and solicitor uh, here, but, you know, we would like to consider your request that we take on this um, this role that you've asked um, through our board of directors. And so, you know, give us uh, a chance here. So I went home and about a month later. I went down there again, and uh, to my amazement, there was some key um, key people uh, there that were in the environmental movement. Uh, heads in, you know, uh, there was Craig Orr, a Watershed Watch. Um, I don't think Watershed Watch had been formed yet, but he was to form it. There was uh, Marvin, Dr. Marvin Rosenow, um, and he was then... MOE's uh, Region 2 uh, senior biologist for the region that the Alouette was in. There was other key players there. I can't think of them all now, but uh, they were quite an eclectic group. 
I think West Coast Environmental Law was there too, because they were going to kind of uh, 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 partner and, and support Sierra Legal Defense. And uh, they said to me, yes, we we decided that we will step into this with, in a big way because we we believe that the issues that you find on the Alouette are the issues that go on all over this province where BC Hydro are holding water licenses. And in various ways and amounts, the environment and, 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 and salmon habitat are being affected. And uh, the Alouette can be our, 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 our poster child if we, could, if we can win a cons- any concessions here. And obviously, they'll set the precedence for the whole, for the whole province. So I, I was really excited. And that was uh, uh, the first of many meetings uh, I had. I got to meet there, uh, Greg McDade there, a real bulldog <laughs> of, of a lawyer. And then I think this will lead further, uh, Jack, to um, discussing uh, McDade's role. Okay, Jeff, why don't you just go on and tell us more about McDade's role? Well. All right. I, I, I guess I have to start, too, is that Tom Kidu had uh, and I had been lobbying our local MLA, and we pushed him pretty hard, Bill Hartley, to convince Victoria, the Minister of Environment, Mo Sahota was the minister, that we needed this water down the Alouette and that we were a vibrant group, and we brought on board Sierra Legal Defense. And so Bill Hartley did an amazing thing. He was able to broker a meeting in the minister's office in the parliament building in Victoria. And and we went over there and uh, we found that they had called into attendance the the water rights, BC Water Rights Controller. They had uh, Marvin Rosano there from Region 2 and his boss for the whole uh, Surrey region was there. Deputy ministers were there, key, key people. And there was four of us from arms in this room. So when they they each, you know, kind of identified their responsibilities and um, and showed their interest. And when it came to me, because each one in arms was able to say what, what they considered our issues were, I said, look, I've been doing a, a considerable investigation of BC Hydro's water rights license. And, and I find that it, it, they have two water licenses. One in perpetuity, but but one with a 40-year um, sunset clause, and it sunsetted in 1972. And I, I, I don't see that there was a proper process. As a matter of fact, I said, I think there was a backroom deal made because there is no record that the BC Hydro came to the public and notified them that there was a license renewal process. And he jumped off his chair in anger, shaking in anger, and said to me, I object to you calling my office of the controllers as, as as affording backroom deals. I said, that's fine. I said, you produced documents of the public uh, hearings you had in Maple Ridge. And when I received them, I said, I'll write you a formal apology. And uh, Dr. Uh, Bella Bella Chandran was his name. He looked at me, sat down and shut up. And so that's the kind of meeting that we had. It was a no-nonsense meeting that Arms was a group that wasn't going to roast weenies over a campfire and sing Kumbaya. We were going to go for the gusto here, and we had uh, McDade behind us. 
And so we came back and we talked to uh, McDade and the group at Sierra. And Greg said, well, now look, at this is what I've been doing. He said, I think um, where we might find some traction is in the riparian rights that riverfront owners have along the Yellowette. And he said, I want you to know that this goes back to 1266 in the Magna Carta. Because uh, King John was told by some of the lords and noblemen that uh, they wanted more rights to the lands they held. And believe it or not, he said, uh, that was the first uh, written old English law that relates to there being some riparian rights. And as they came forward into the 20th century, the Water Rights Act in British Columbia tried everything in their power to take riparian rights away and tuck them all into a government portfolio. But he said, I've, I've found that there's a few vestiges that they may be overlooked. And you go out and get me three or four people that have riparian rights on the Alouette River. I'll give you a form, get them to sign uh, my authority to act as their, uh, as their legal counsel, because ARMS really has no power here in that regard. And I'll, I'll take this forward and, and see where it goes. And he said, I, you know, um, I, I think we've got enough to uh, consider Supreme Court action against BC Hydro. But then what happened after that was he went over to Victoria and he probably met with the same people, Mo, and, uh, and maybe as Minister of Environment and some very influential cabinet ministers and, and said, you know, it probably would be unseemly for BC Hydro as a public entity to find themselves in Supreme Court action. And I'm prepared um, to go forward with this. And I think I have a case, but, you know, maybe there's a better way. So maybe you should be um, talking to BC Hydro and, and and tell them that this is in the wings and, and, and this is what could happen. So I think that's what transpired because after that, BC Hydro made some moves. So I'll stop here. So they've... Um... McDade suggests that you get signatures uh, from residents uh, living along the river who have riparian rights, and he uses this information with BC Hydro. He threatens to use this this information with BC Hydro, and uh, he'll go to Supreme Court over it. What? uh, How did Hydro respond to this? Well, this was basically nineteen ninety four, and. I would say in the latter part of 1994, BC, I, I got wind of the fact that BC Hyder were holding in their downtown office a preliminary meeting to discuss an in-stream flow study of the Alouette that they were suggesting uh, they might carry out. So I attended this meeting. It was in their head office there and looked around the table at the people that were being seated. I recognized a couple of Minister of Environment uh, people. And one was Marvin Rosenau and a few others. But uh, there was BC Hydro engineers um, and uh, they had a department, Ministry of Environment. Uh, they had a couple of people there. It was heavily loaded with BC Hydro, but DFO was there and a few others. So we went around the table again in an introductory process. And when it came to me, I said, I'm a director in the Alouette River Management Society, and our concerns are the Alouette watershed. We've been working very hard to try and protect and improve this watershed. 
BC Hydro's footprint um, below the dam is had a just disastrous effect from the time it was built without a fish ladder or adequate flows. So, you know, that's uh, that's my field of expertise is to observe, report what's going on here, and um, possibly at some point offer a position of what the public feels uh, you should be doing. So the chair of this um, of this meeting, BC Hyder was the chair, said, um, well, you know, that there might be a point in time where would be appropriate to involve you. But right now, this is a, a technical committee, um, engineers and biologists and people with uh, DFO and, and MOE that have responsibilities in in that regard, in their position there. You know, it would be, they're just uh, a public voice at the table here is, is premature. And I said, well, I said, not at all. Uh, th- this is in the formative stage. And I think it's extremely appropriate that I be here. But if you refuse my seat at this table and these discussions, so be it, because my car will go from directly from here to the Maple Ridge News, and, and I'll tell them what your position has been. I said they've been very interested in what ARMS has tried to do to improve the Alouette River. And I can see this getting two-inch headlines. Um, BC Hydro refuses ARMS position at this table, at this formative meeting table. And uh, I don't think it's going to do the PR for BC Hydro very good. So there was a kind of a shock silence and uh, uh, they didn't even caucus. Um, the chair came back and said, we get your point. Uh, yes, you're duly seated. So there was another meeting after that, or there was a committee formed to look into into uh, more more flow. How was, uh, tell us about that committee and who was involved in that. Yeah, that that was quite interesting. Um, the next one I remember was meeting a chap by the name of James Bruce. He was um, a very well qualified biologist who worked out of BC Hydro's environmental uh, department, and he was down there looking around on the river. <clears throat> and he said, um, after introducing himself, he said, "Look," um, he said, um, "Do you know what a what an in-stream flow study is. And I said, um, not not really. Please tell me. And he said, well, the University of Colorado in the USA were the forerunners uh, of, of developing this construct, this concept. And what it was, it was an in-stream flow incremental methodology uh, process where you, where dams were involved or controlling apparatus for rivers were involved, you change the flow incrementally, say from 10% to 90% of the original flows. And then you measured at various points along the river, how much more uh, wetted usable width of the river in terms of area uh, had increased and how the river was being used beneficially uh, by the fish involved. And this would mean uh, juveniles, young of the year, to smolts, uh, possibly two-year-old smolts, to returning salmon and the depths required for their spawning beds. And (laughs) more complex than that, for each separate species. And he said, yes, it's complex and difficult, but he said when Hopefully, if I get this all done and get it done right, he said, there won't be a political argument as to what the required flows are. 
it will be science um, that will be dictating this. And he said, that's what I'm going to try and achieve here. And I was quite excited. So a stream flow study is initiated, and it, uh, but it, ta- it drags on and on, and people are dissatisfied with the waiting time. What happens next? Yeah, well, that, that's interesting. You see, first they, uh, they surveyed uh, from the dam to the 232nd Ave, uh, Street Bridge, 23 separate transects. And they, uh, they went out and they measured all the flow changes in those 23 uh, zones. And they had to use a data collecting device, electronic data collecting devices. And this was a lot of work. It, it probably took uh, two or three, four months. And then they took this process back and they put it into two 586 state-of-the-art computers and they started to crunch these numbers. And it was at that point we were into the summer period and the information had been taken from the river itself and it was taking longer than we anticipated. So we had a meeting at arms and we said, uh, you know, we're... We should be demanding that we get an interim flow increase here. So talk to the mayor, Carl Dirksen. He was a great supporter of what we were trying to do in arms and for his community. Um, we took uh, talk to Robson um, and Associates, Gordy Robson. Uh, we talked to others and we said, uh, you know, we should be heading. Uh, we talked to uh, Chief Diane Bailey of the Casey First Nation, key people, and we said, you know, we should call a meeting with BC Hydro and, and demand this interim flow. So it, that came together and, and, and BC Hydro heard us um, and, and afforded us a meeting in their um, senior boardroom, top floor. And it was attended by their president, John Sheehan, and his vice president of operations, Don Swoboda, and their support staff. And so we had a collection um, down there on our side and... Uh, went around the table uh, with an introductory and, and, and what we considered, uh, why we considered that we needed water now. And when it, uh, it came to our mayor, he was a big man with a huge ham fist and he slammed the table and pens uh, bounced six inches in the air and he said, we want water and we want it now. And he just yelled it out. And it was quite an interesting response. And, uh, Chief Dan Bailey spoke eloquently. Um, uh, Tom Kidu was, you know, uh, he was aware of his position as deputy warden, but, he, you know, he uh, he spoke for the hatchery issues and the low flows. Um, and uh, anyway, then it came around to me, and I was sitting directly opposite John Sheehan. He, he somehow came into the room and did that. And uh, he looked at me with a, with a, bit of a twinkle in his eye. He said, well, well, we've been discussing this and we feel we can give you an interim flow of 70 cubic feet per second. Now, to get that in relationship, full flow in the pipe is 90 to 92 cubic feet per second. So, you know, we were, we were talking uh, three quarters of the flows here. They were offering um, <coughs> without uh, the in-stream flow studies results being in and concluded. I was I was silently uh, quite amazed that they were willing to do that, but um, you know uh, there was one person spoke up quite loudly and said, "I don't trust them. 
and and yelled that uh, out. And so I uh, I asked for a caucus, and um, I said, can can we use a room somewhere here to go and caucus in? And John Sheehan, uh, president of BC Hydro, largest electrical utility west of the Ontario border, looked me in the eye and said, oh, no, we'll leave our boardroom for you to caucus in. I thought that was very gracious of them. And we had our meeting. Uh, we thrashed it out. I won't get into those details, but it, everybody agreed, except maybe one uh, with me, that this was an honest interim flow that we could accept. And uh, we concluded with an agreement. Let's summarize. So in this part of the story, the 100-year war on Alouette salmon, we have followed Jeff Clayton and other community members, including the emphatic Reeve Dirksen, who demands water for the Alouette. In his words, we want water and we want it now. BC Hydro has been concluding backroom deals with the government ministries to get water license renewals without public input. Arms and the community leadership have to resort to the threat of legal action against BC Hydro in the Supreme Court to get the provincial government to persuade the utility to start meeting. They have trouble even being granted a seat at the table. They finally meet and studies are proposed by BC Hydro, but meanwhile the river is running dry. Finally, BC Hydro agrees to an interim flow release that is considered adequate by the community for the fish in the river. But there is still no talk of a fish ladder or addressing the issue of entrainment in the Alouette Water Diversion Tunnel. That's right. So in the next installment of the 100 Years War on Alouette Salmon, we will bring you the story we've called License to Kill. So finally, the dirty little secret of entrainment rears its ugly head. to your life There's no turning back Even while we sleep We will find you acting on your best behavior Turn your back on Mother Nature Everybody wants to rule the world And that concludes this episode of Seed Pod. SeedPod is brought to you by the Seed Center Society, a registered charity dedicated to community education on environment and development. We help people connect to community and foster an understanding of sustainable living so that all living beings can thrive. SeedPod is supported by our listeners, people like you who want to make our communities more resilient. You can sign up as a patron on our Patreon site for just a few dollars per month. You can find it at patreon.com seedpod. I'd like to thank patron Amy Wood for her family's contributions. You'll find the Seed Center website at www.seedcenter.com. Check out the programs at our neighborhood house and community gardens. This episode of Seed Pod features a cover song by Anna Isabella, a local singer-songwriter who plays an original tune in an upcoming episode. The episode was hosted by Jack Emberley and me, Christian Cowley. I also recorded and edited the sessions. That's it for us. Thanks for listening.